such a special occasion that we do celebrate these times. It's not just something we do just for the sake of doing it, but we treasure our kids and we, this is how we love one another. This is how we bear with one another. And, uh, and so, yeah, like I shared, I'm going to be, the message I have just this evening is really, is dedicating, a dedication that prepares our kids to devote ourselves to the Lord. And so, because that's from Acts 2.42, you know, that they devoted themselves. And so, really, it's standing alongside them as they make this dedication that the kids come into the place where they devote themselves to the Lord. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I know of many denominations that have things like uh, water ba- uh, baby infant baptism. They have confirmation classes. And uh, it's really to kind of seal the covenant, you know, to seal the deal. And so I have a security that my child is saved and is going to heaven. And every parent wants that, which is normal. But having said that, I don't see that in the Scriptures. We don't see infant baptisms, and we don't see confirmation classes. And, um, and so I just want to share just on how we look at it, um, just regarding infant baptisms, just regarding uh, confirmation classes, because it's not in the Bible, it's, it's not something that we do because, because we want to feel secure. It's not something we do, do because we want to kind of tick the box. <laughs> and uh, because I know, I mean, I've got family and friends that, that do go to denominations and they do have infant baptisms and they do have confirmation classes. And I know even one of our friends that are friends with my son, that the moment he turned 18 and he had completed his confirmation classes, was okay, cool, now I can live my life, I've done all the, I've ticked the boxes, but now let me go and have fun, because my guarantee, my salvation is guaranteed. And as I look at his life, he lives totally contrary to the scripture, and we love him, we want to see him saved, we're praying for him, but he's living a life that's really debauched, It's, it's, it's totally sinful because of that, because he has a false sense of security, and so that's why we don't practice that. It's because we don't want people to feel good in their hearts that I'm saved, but actually you're not. We would rather you be scared and, and in a sense, waiting, am I saved, questioning it, rather than have a false sense of security. And, um, and so in dedicating our children, we're actually training them to find God themselves. That's, that's our heart. We want them to find God one day, that when they search for Him, um, and it's like, even like John the Baptist, who said it's, it's like having a life uh, rep- in keeping with repentance. Um, that as they die, as they give their lives to Jesus, they come to a place where they say, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who's living in me. And that is your security. That is when you get to the place that, hey, this is not a momentary decision I make one day that, Jesus, I'm going to serve you, but I just make that decision, I make that confession, and that's the end. No, from that day that you do that confession, that you actually begin to walk the walk of what you confessed that day. And so that's why we don't buy into that. Um, and so really it's, it's also getting to our kids to, to a place where they are not doing what they want to do because, well, doing what the parents want to do. I mean, how many times have you had that, especially teenagers? You, you, you can kind of put yourself in a place where you can say, okay, mom and dad wants this, so I'll do it. 
under their supervision, but I'll still live a different life here. Yeah. And, uh, and that's never our hearts. We want authenticity of God in our hearts. We want the real deal. And Paul, Paul kind of says this to the church in Philippians 2, verses 12 to 13. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so what Paul's saying, look, if I'm there or if I'm not there, it doesn't matter. You've got to find your salvation. You've got to work it out in fear and trembling. You've got to hear the will of God in your life. And, uh, and so we praying that that's where they're going to get to that place, where they're saying, God, I want to find you. Where, where are you leading me? Where are you taking me? Because I want to respond to that. And it's out of that relationship that we do it. And, uh, and so that's what eternal life really is. Do you want to know? That's what eternal life is, is that we hear God, that we have a relationship with Him. John 17, 3 says this. It tells us that this is eternal life, that you might know Him. And as you know Him, you do what He's called you to do. Um, and so although we believe in baptisms, we just don't believe in infant baptisms. And I want to say, why, why is that? Why do you believe in baptisms but not infant baptisms? Well, as we see in Scripture, baptism is always accompanied by repentance. Baptism is always a, is always a follow-up on repentance. It always follows repentance. And so repentance, we know that Luca and Benji, as you're seeing them here, they're not at the place where they can repent because they're not in a place where they are conscious, conscious of sin. They're not conscious of what's righteous. They just know what they know, and it doesn't involve repentance. They can't be in a place of repentance as yet. And so they need to come to a place where they can say, okay, this is sin and this is righteous, therefore I need to turn from that and to walk into this. They are not in that place yet. And so in Acts 2.38, when Peter preaches to the church where they begin, uh, did I give you that one? And then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized. Do you see? Baptism always follows repentance. In Acts 13, 24, it says, After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all people of Israel. In Luke 3, 3, it says, And come into all districts around Jordan, preaching baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Do you see? Repentance, baptism always follows repentance. And little kids like that cannot repent. Because the word repentance means metanoia. It means change the way you're living. Change the way you think and think something else. Think of what God has called you to. And you change your whole life according to that, of what God is and who, what He's called you to be. And, uh, and so we see this, what we do see in the Bible, although we don't see infant baptism, we don't see confirmation classes, but what we do see in the Bible is dedication. You can read that in 1 Samuel 1. I didn't give that, that scripture to Orchid, but because it's quite long. But here we see Hannah, which is a, a lady that's, that's coming before the Lord, and she couldn't, give a, she, couldn't give, she couldn't have babies. And she's petitioning the Lord. She says, God, I really want a, a child. But Lord, I, I want to promise you that if you give me a child, I'm going to dedicate that child to you. And we see that she does that. At the moment she weans um, a little Samuel off herself, she dedicates him to the temple. She actually gives him to the priest to look after too. And so that was her dedication to the Lord, saying, God, Thank you for this blessing, but I'm giving it back to you. And basically, that's what you guys are doing. Did you know that? You, 
little Luca and little Benji is not really yours. It's like, God, thank you for this blessing, but we offer it back to you. Can I say, parenting is, a very, un, is very unselfish, really. Think of it. You, you raise your little boys, like my, I've got boys. You raise them from an early age. You're actually preparing them for someone else. Did you know that? You're preparing them for their wives one day and their husbands. It's quite an unselfish act. And so if you don't do a good job, it's going to be a harder for the, for the spouse. Or if you do do a good job, it's going to be a blessing for the spouse, really, how you raise your children. But ultimately, you're not raising them just for the spouse. You're actually raising them for the Lord. Because ultimately, they are dedicated to the Lord. You're actually giving it back to the Lord. And that's what Hannah does in verse 28 in 1 Samuel 1. She actually says that. Um, you know, I'm giving, I'm lending him. In fact, she says, I'm lending him back till the end of his days. In other words, he's uh, yours, Lord. It's not mine. And, uh, and so as parents, we've got to realize about this, about our kids, is that they are not your workmanship. <laughs> It's not you. Although we, we have them, they've got our DNA, they're actually not your workmanship. The Bible says we are Christ's workmanship, created in His image for good works that He has prepared for advance, that they should walk in them. I want to say this is hard sometimes, because I know I'm raising two teenage boys. Well, they're not teenagers. One's 21 and the other one's 18. But, it, but it's hard sometimes because you want them to live in success. And so you've got these plans, hey, boy, you must go to varsity, you must do this, do this, do this, because that's my plans for your life. And I've had to come to realize, actually, it's not my plans that I should have for them. It's, it's God's plans for them because he's his workmanship, not my workmanship. And so it's, it's hard as a parent because you, you've got to weigh this thing up. And you, Yes, you've got to guide them and you've got to help them that they do live in the fullness that God has for them. And you do give your everything for that. But ultimately, you've got to realize it's, it's what the Lord wants in their lives. And so don't measure success by merely education. Don't measure success by jobs. Don't measure success by what kind of business they have. Measure the success by how they serve the Lord. Ultimately, how they serve Him. And so we stand with you guys in this. Two precious vessels. And, um, and like Brandon said, and, and JP said, like, we, we stand together with them to hold them account to their children. Because actually, if you think of it, all of us parents, we are also disciples. Did you know that? We are also learners. We, like JP said, you know, I, 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 help me, Lord, teach me, because I don't know everything. And I don't know everything myself. I mean, there's lots I can learn. And I want to say this is where the church comes in. This is where if I look back at my two boys, and I'm not saying they're perfect angels. I know they've, they've got their, their issues. But I can say they've gotten that far, not because Lauren and I are good parents, we try to be, but I want to say you guys actually influenced my boys. Did you know that? This couple, they've, they've had my boys in their homes. They've spoken to them. They've connected. They, my boys look up to Bob and Barbara. My boys look up to Stephen. My boys look up to Orchid and Simone they, because they see them as individuals and they speak into their lives and they influence. And a lot of them, I want to say even as an elder, I don't... I don't protect my kids or don't touch my kids, you know, because I know parents can do that. Even the influence, even the rebukes that come from the church, I let that happen. And I'm not saying everybody's right when they do that. I've got to help my boys process some of those rebukes. Some of those rebukes aren't perfect. You know why? Because you guys aren't perfect. But I still know your influence is valuable, even when it's not always accurate. 
And that's where together we work things out as a parent. So if I've got things that I need to speak, let's say Benji's 18 now, I'm going to go through Brandon. I'm going to say, Brandon, you know, this is something I'm seeing there. Don't you want to work on that with, with your son? Not because I want to see Benji living in the fullness that God has for him too. And so, but Brandon's obviously got to have a heart that's open to that. I know this, I'm speaking hard yeah, because I know some parents, we, we are protective of our kids because our kids, in a sense, represent us, doesn't it? And so when you speak to my kid, you're actually speaking to me. You're saying my parenting isn't good. And we can put up a defense and a wall and say, what's wrong with my parenting? Actually, just realize this. You don't have the full, fullness of God. We collectively have that. We collectively move in the fullness of who God is. And so it's actually a freeing thing if you get to that place. Okay, so I'm just going to mention three points. I know three points that I see as valuable. First of all, making sure you're always pointing your children to Jesus. In Matthew 9, 14, remember when, when, the, when, when the parents were bringing their kids to Jesus and the disciples were there and chased them away. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. I was raised in a culture where children should be seen and not heard. It was... What I was raised in. I don't know if you older generation guys, that's how it was. Seen and not heard. You know, we, but I want to say we need to hear our kids. We need to hear what they're feeling. We need to hear where they are. We need to be, they, they're part of us. They are not just our future generation. You often hear that saying, you know, these are our future. No, they are with us. They are here now. Yes, they will be carrying on when you're not here. And so there is a future for them where there isn't a future for us. But for now, they are with us, and they are part of the family. And this is so valuable that we see this in the life of the church. Our kids are valuable because they're part of us. And, uh, and so Jesus is saying, don't, don't let them be, be excluded. They're part of it. And so we need to train our kids to see Jesus, to come to Jesus before anything else. Why? Because they, like you, need salvation. And Jesus alone has salvation. And so I want to say this up front. Our children aren't innocent till proven guilty. <laughs> They're not. They're not innocent till proven guilty. They are guilty. We all have a sin nature. And I know, and I'm saying this because I know my wife's a teacher, and often you have this parent that comes into the school, and she says, the teacher's wrong, the school's wrong, the system's wrong. The other kids are wrong, but my child is he's the angel. He's, he's the innocent one in this whole thing. I mean, you see that always. Hey? I hear of it lots. I'm sure you teach us, Catherine. Hey? Am I right? It happens lots. It's like everyone else is wrong, but my child, he's the victim. And that's what you actually create. When everybody else is wrong, you create a victim mentality. Now, I'm not saying you're going to have those occasions where your child is innocent. Obviously, you can but even that, you've got to process that with your children. Yes, you're the victim, but you know what? The Bible says this is how you forgive. This is how you love. This is how you, you don't vow against other people when they throw accusations. Like Christ didn't send anything back when they accused them falsely of things. Have that mind in you. And so we teach our kids that. And so we've also got to realize that your kids aren't angels because you are not an angel. <laughs> You need salvation. You need to come to that place. And so our kids need to. And uh, having said that, you are not their salvation. 
It's a hard one. You are not their salvation. I want to say you can be the most wisest parent. You can give the most valuable input, but you ultimately are not their salvation. Revelation 7.10 says salvation belongs to the Lord. Only Jesus is their salvation. So you've got to point them to Jesus, not to you, to Jesus. It's hard, but we always got to make that known to our kids. Um, yeah, it goes beyond our advice. It goes beyond our experience, our wisdom, because salvation doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. And your kids will need a revelation of Jesus one day. And I want to say this about Jesus. You know, Jesus makes this claim about himself in John 14, 6. He says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I love this scripture. You know why? Because Jesus is not just saying, I'm the destination. He's saying, I'm the way. And I think as we get to know with our kids, they're going to go through struggles. They're going to go through challenges, through trials. And through moments of affliction, they're going to have to know that this is the process that God does to get you to the destination. And so you're walking with them on this road as well. Jesus is also the way. He's not just there in a distant future one day that when you get there, you know, he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful. No, he's with you now, going through the process. And so you've got to make your kids aware of the processes are just as important to the Lord because he is in those processes. That Jesus is also the way. And, uh, and so those, those experiences are so important. Those challenges, those trials are important. Um, and, and we have to let them experience things like that. We've got to let them experience trials. Don't cushion your kids to protect them from what God has to bring them through. Because the Bible says, those whom he loves, he what? He chastises, which means he, he allows disciplines to come into our lives because he loves us. It's not a sign, how often do you say this? Because I'm going through this trial, God doesn't love me. No, he's saying, because I love you, I'm letting you go through the trial because I'm producing something within you. I'm producing a faith within you. And I have many times, my boys have wanted to take shortcuts in this life. There's many times that they wanted to take the easy road. But Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 13. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many that go in it by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few that find it. But I want to say this, Jesus is not only the way, but he's, he is at the destination. He is at the, the final point. And that's what I love, too, is that knowing that, that he is at the finish line. And he's cheering us on. And he's, he's with us in the way, but he's also there saying, come, come, follow me. This is where I am. I'm at the finish line. And I love the scripture in Hebrews 4, 14. It says, seeing that you, are, you have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast the confessions. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but in all points is tempted as we are, but without sin. You see, Jesus has been there. He knows what you're going through. It says that he became a sympathizing high priest, so he could identify with you. But then he's encouraging us. He's spurring us on. He's at the, he's at the finish line and saying, come. Think about this. I, 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 we, when, when our kids were Benji's age and Luca's age, I remember us having athletics days. Remember that, Lol? And the, we'd be on the sideline cheering our kids with all the other parents on the sideline. And, and you know, 
at the, at, the, at the race, they've got these um, tracks, these lanes, and each one of your child is in a lane. And you as a parent are standing on the side, and as they run, you're going, go, go, go. And as, they, as they're running, they're looking at you. But you know how kids, they, they run where they look. You know, because oh, there's mom and dad, and they're going across the lanes. And you have to say to him, hey, don't go where you're looking. Look where you're going, kind of thing. <laughs> it's like, come on, here's the finish line. We're we just there cheering you on. And it's the same with Jesus. He is at the finish line. Mom and dad, and I want to say to you teenagers, and they need to admit this, they are not at the finish line. We are not. I would love to be, but I'm not. And so my boys realize I don't have it all. There's things in me that I know that I mess up. But you know, this is the key. I tell them when I mess up so that they don't follow me onto the sideline. When they know that daddy has missed it here, and this is part of pointing them to Jesus, is that they see where you do miss it. You say, boy, I know. I know I'm not there. This part of my life, doesn't resemble Jesus. But you know what? I'm sorry. I repent. And in my repentance, again, they can see Jesus. In my repentance, they see the finish line again. They're not looking at mom and dad. They know. And so you separate that in yourself when you do repent to your kids. And I want to encourage you parents, always have a heart of repentance. Don't always be the right one and lose your child. Let them see when you're wrong. Admit to it. Repent of it. That they can forgive you, but that they can run on. Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by this great crowd of witness, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Again, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So that's how we point them to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. Hey, look at Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ, as Paul says. But there's going to become times where they're not going to see Jesus in you. That's when they see Jesus. That's when they've got to look beyond you. And, uh, and so teach them to follow Jesus, but also teach them to hate sin. Our kids are born with a sin nature. They're not born innocent, like I said. In Romans 5.12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sinned, that being Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to every man, because all have sinned. And so, in other words, you didn't become a sinner because you sinned. You didn't become a sinner because you sinned. You sinned because you are a sinner. You're a sinner. It's in your nature. It's in your DNA. Can I say, Adam passed on the genes to us, his genes, his sin DNA. He passed it down to us. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm a sibling of four. I've always got hand-me-downs, you know, and it's always worn through. It's always got patches. Um, and Adam handed down something that's generation to generation. And this is what we've got. This is our DNA, and, and I'm not talking about denims, no. I'm talking about our DNA. I'm talking about our sin nature is an inherited thing. And uh, I want to say as cute, as precious as Luca and Benji are, I'll guarantee these parents would tell me they're not innocent. Am I right? I mean, there's times that you've had to administer certain disciplines. It's just, it's just there. Am I right, Brandon? Am I right, JP? It's... Uh, 
You know, that I'm, I'm always reminded of that Elvis song, you know, he walks like an angel, <laughs> talks like an angel. You're the devil in disguise. No, no, they're not devils. We love them. But, but they know they have to, I mean, Benji and Luca overstep boundaries. You know, they, they're naughty. They, why? Because they please themselves. It's all about their wills, especially at this age. Am I right? And so, you know, it's, it's why can't I eat a tub of ice cream before dinner, you know? Why can't I take this toy away from another kid while it's playing with it? Why can't I pull my sister's hair? That's the sin nature, and it's already there. And, uh, and so they've got to process that with them. They've got to teach them, hey, it's not about you anymore. That will, that self-will, where sin thrives, actually it's got to be less about your will. It's got to be more about his will. And uh, I'm reminded of that scripture in Proverbs 22. It says, train up your child in the way that they should go. And when he is old, he will not depart. When he gets old, he will not depart. You see, that's a promise of the Lord. That as we train our kids, they will not depart. But you have to train them in the ways of the Lord. You know, I, I remember when I was in Mossel Bay, when I was living there, there was a lady who believed that her, her child was innocent as anything, but she believed, she had this philosophy that a child is born like this clean slate. There's just nothing there. And so she said to us, look, she's not going to preach to her child. She's not going to give any input to her child as, they, as she grows up because she wants her child to make an unbiased decision without her influence. And I remember thinking about it. I said to her, you, you do know there is no vacuum for your child. There is no void that your child is going to grow up with an unbiased decision. And if you think like that, you're actually wrong. Because can I say, the media, you just turn on the TV, there's already an influence into your child. You go to school, the friends that they're with, there's influence. There's media. There's all these influences around us. There is no clean slate. You can't walk in thinking you're gonna, your child's going to be pure because they have an unbiased. There is no unbiased. There will always be a bias. The Bible says the world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The world lies under the influence of the devil. And so the thing is we've got to realize this, uh, church, is that our input is so valuable because that's all they have that is true. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 13, you don't have to turn there, but he's talking about the seeds and he's talking about the soil of the heart. And he says, you know, as the guy who scatters the seed, some seed falls on hard ground, some falls on stony, some falls on the weedy ground. But notice all of those elements are already in the soil. That's already part of it. That's indigenous to the soil. What the foreign element is, is the seed. And so, I mean, you could talk to John. I'll guarantee you, John doesn't just throw seeds and sit on his back porch and say, oh, no, it's just, I'm going to get rich, you know. This is, this is all it takes to farming. He knows he's got to plow that ground. He knows he's got to remove the stones, the hardness. He knows he's got to take out weeds. And after he's planted the seed, he knows he's got to water those plants. He knows he's got to put nutrients into the ground to make those plants thrive. It doesn't just happen. There is no, just nothing there. There's everything there. And that's why Jesus gives us this analogy. The soil of their hearts, of your children's hearts, is so important to the Lord. And and that preparation takes so much time. Is that when you do speak the word and when they do hear the word of God, it can germinate, take root, and become this tree that God's called it to be, that it can bear fruit in itself. 
And so preparation takes time. And notice this, Proverbs 22.15. It really stood out for me, this scripture, as I talk about the soil. It says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Foolishness is bound up in the heart. You know, foolishness is already there. It's in their hearts. And then it says this, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. So it takes the rod to actually get it out. It's already in their hearts. Now, I want to hear, some of you might be sitting here, you might have had an abusive father. Well, see, that's not the illustration that I see in the Scripture. God is not this angry God that when God, like I said, He does chastise His children. He does rebuke us at times. But God doesn't respond out of anger in the sense that He loses His temper. This is the difference. You've seen your dads, huh? Your dads at times respond because they lose their temper. I've done that. I've done that with my boys. I'm guilty. You see, what happens when a, when a father loses his temper? He's, he's actually out, outside of himself. There's, there's something that's controlling something, some new information that he hasn't seen. And at that moment, he, this thing overwhelms him, and he responds in that anger. But God doesn't do that. Can I say God's anger is very directive? God's anger is very intentional. God's anger is there, but it's still in love. You see, there is nothing outside of God that can influence God. God is omniscient, which means He knows everything, which means God can never get a surprise by you or anybody else around you. So God doesn't go, oh, I didn't know this about that person. Let me get my stick and start whacking them. That's not how God works. He knows already. And so what He says, I'm going to rebuke you. I'm going to channel your understanding of where I want to take you, but, but I'm going to do it intentionally. I'm going to do it directively. I'm going to do it in a way that's loving, that's caring. But at the end of the day, it brings you to a place where you're more in me, that you're more in who I am, that you become more righteous, that you become more holy. And so God doesn't do it like us as dads can do it sometimes. And so as fathers, you've got to represent God well. Can I say, I think that's why God didn't let Moses go into the promised land. Remember the first time God says, I want you to speak to the rock the second time, Moses gets so angry with the children that he takes the stick and he hits the rock. God said, Moses, you didn't represent me at that moment. You're going to lose your inheritance. Moses didn't go into the promised land because of that one little thing. I mean, think of that. Think of Moses. He was really a father to those Israelites. He was caring for them, looking after them. Imagine being like that. But just at that one moment where Israel just couldn't have, he took out that stick and hit the rock. God said, that's it, Moses, you've lost it. Lost your inheritance. Heavy, huh? I said, don't lose your inheritance in your children. You know, they are, in a sense, they are also your inheritance. Represent God and represent Him well. Lastly, teach them to hear the voice of the Spirit. Teach them to hear the voice of the Spirit. And this doesn't happen just when our kids are at the age of understanding. This is not an um, intellectual ex exercise. It's not an analytical exercise. This, I believe, is an intimate exercise that we practice with our kids. Teach them to hear the voice of the Spirit. And uh, little Benji, I believe, and little Lucas, at this age, can already hear the voice of the Spirit. I believe that. I believe even little Emilia can hear the voice of the Spirit. In John 1, verses 41... We all know that both Elizabeth and Mary were pregnant. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. 
and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist was in Elizabeth's womb, and she heard the voice of Mary calling her, and it says the, the baby inside Elizabeth leaped. It recognized that's the Spirit's voice. The Spirit is in that child. I want to say this. You know, I've heard even neuroscience where they said, you know, a child in a mother's womb can already experience the rejection of a mother. Why can it not experience the acceptance of a father? The Bible says this, um, that the Spirit bears witness with our spirits. He doesn't bear witness with our minds or our intellects. His Spirit bears witness with our spirits. Let me quickly go there. Romans 8, verses 14 to 16. It says, Many are led by the Spirit of God. These are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom you cried, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. The Spirit bears witness with that truth. And so... We've got to teach our kids to hear the Spirit because when they hear the Spirit, they're going to, that affirmation of God is my Father is their security. And so they need to have that themselves. They need to have a revelation of God. And I'm just reminded that as Hannah did dedicate Samuel, remember the time that as he was in with the priests and he was in the, uh, what was it, the temple, that, that remember the time when, when God called him. And he said, Samuel. And Samuel gets up and he goes to Eli and says, did you call me? He says, no. To go back to bed. So he goes back to bed. Samuel, he goes to, to Eli again. Did you call me? No. He does it three times. And then Eli says to him, look, maybe it's the Lord calling. You need to, when he, when he calls again, say, yes, Lord, your servant is listening. And I want to say even now, teach your kids. Because there's going to come a time where God's going to call them. There's going to come, come a time where God's going to say, Luca. Benji, he's going to say that. Be prepared for that moment, but then say, what's, prepare their hearts for, hey, talk to the Lord. He's, you can commune with Him. You can talk with Him. It's the same Holy Spirit that we have, that, that they can have. And uh, I want to say, this is vital. This is so important, because I remember when Bryden was at an age, I think he was about five, hey, when we, we, we were like, Lauren must know what I'm thinking. Yeah, but he was young. We went on holiday once, and we visited my brother. And uh, I didn't have DSTV, so I don't, I don't, I'm not aware of what shows on DSTV. You know, I wasn't one of those parents that were actually, they would just switch off the TV. I, I was just totally unconscious of it. But Bryden was in the lounge, and we were all in the kitchen doing something. And I remember him coming into the kitchen saying, Dad, what was on TV was horrible, and I switched it off. I felt the Holy Spirit told me to switch it off. I mean, he was only five, or somewhere around there, younger. I mean, and I said, thank you, Lord, because they are not always going to be around when their kids see things, when they experience things, and that is why they need to hear the Spirit now already. We can't replace the Holy Spirit. He is so valuable. We need to teach our children to hear the voice of the Spirit. This is not a cognitive thing. It's an experience, intimate thing. Lastly, I want to just end off with this. In John 10, 27 to 28, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. 
and I and the Father are one. Isn't that beautiful? As, they, as you train them to hear the voice of, of God, they're going to follow him. And I love that promise. He actually says it twice, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. As they follow me, as they hear my voice, and as I lead them into new pastures, I'm going to make sure that no one's going to take them out of my hand. It's beautiful. It's beautiful when you see that, when you really grasp that. And Jesus even promises us of the Holy Spirit in John 16, 13. He says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. You know, that's why we can't replace the Holy Spirit. He's there to guide us into every aspect of truth. When our kids face challenges, when they get to a road, a crossroad, that's where the Spirit is important, that they hear the voice. Which way? Which way do I go? Amen. I want to just throw out a call, even this evening, as, as I've been sharing. I know I've been sharing about kids and dedicating our kids, but actually, ultimately, that's also what discipling is about. And I want to say, maybe you don't know the voice of the Lord. Maybe you don't know Him personally. But I can just create an opportunity where you can respond to him. It says that, like I said, that scripture, this is eternal life, that you might know him. That is eternal life. Ultimately, that is what salvation is. God, I see you for who you are. I, know, I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to guide me. I want you to be my steps ahead because you said you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that I can give my life to you in order that you can take me one day to the eternal life that you have for me. And so if there's anybody here, while we just bow our heads at this moment, let's all close our eyes. I don't want to presume everybody here is saved, that everybody has a relationship with Jesus. But I do want to encourage you, because the Bible says that we need to confess Him with our mouths. And we need to believe in our hearts, the Bible says. And if you do that, you will be saved. But it starts with this moment. It starts in the moment of confession. And so if you've never made this decision in life to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, to be the way, the truth, and the life of your life, then now's the time. We don't know what tomorrow holds. But I want to ask, if you were to die tomorrow, where would you be? Where would you go? And so if there's anybody here, just while the eyes are closed, to anybody here that doesn't know Jesus, I want you to put up your hand. You've only got this moment. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Anybody? Don't be shy. We've all had to come to the place of confession. We've all had to receive him as Lord and Savior. It's a humbling thing, but can I say it's a glorious thing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And then just for the rest of us, maybe you've been, just, this is maybe even new to you as regarding discipling. I want to encourage you guys to, if you're not part of a community and you're not part of even the life of the church, you know, you can come once off every now and then, but I want to say that is not what a relationship looks like. A relationship is being in the house of God. It's spending time with Him and His people. And it's in that place of family that God grows us. It's in that place of family that God disciples us. And so I want to encourage you, if, if, if you are not plugged into the life of the church, that you do so. Get involved. Get in, plugged into the family. 
because that's where life happens. It's, if I'm outside of this church, let me tell you, I grow cold. My heart grows cold. I live for myself. I've got no anybody to think about just me. But you know what? At that place, I also get colder and colder and colder. And God's calling me to something glorious, something more than just me. That as I, as I gave my life to Him, you know, as He let me love Him, He made me love you. He made me love His church. And to give my life to be part of that which He is perfecting. And so I just want to encourage you, even this evening, that you do that. You make that decision in your heart to serve Him, but to be a disciple of Him. And being a disciple is one who comes under, one who submits himself, one who brings, comes to a place where they can become more like Jesus. And so, Lord, we just thank you for tonight. I thank you just for your word. I thank you for the opportunity that we can have together as your body to come and praise your name. Lord, I thank you for the moment that we could have to dedicate Luca and Benji to you. And Lord, we honor this day and we remember this day for the future for them too, Lord, as they are also part of this body. In Jesus' name, amen.